about um, this event that we're here to celebrate, Christmas, and really what that song was talking about, why Jesus came, the fact that he not only came as a babe, but he then goes on to die. Momentous year, of course, for many people. Um, in Britain as a nation I guess we just got used to the idea that Scotland was remaining part of the UK and now they're saying they want to vote on it again because maybe they want to break away we started the year firmly part of Europe we're in the EU and uh, we're set where we're going and now we're coming out of the EU at least perhaps we're not because maybe now it's down to the politicians rather than to us uh, but that waits to be seen and if you live across the pond, it's not a lot different. Who would have guessed this time last year that Donald Trump would be the next president of America? I think if 2016 stands for anything, it's for the uncertainty of the future. And I guess at a personal level as well, if I was to invite you to tell me what this year has been like and you were to share it with us, for many people we'd be saying, well, it's not the year that I had planned. It's not the year that I envisaged. Uh, this time last year my father-in-law was sitting here in this service he's now dead he's now in heaven with his Lord that was not what we expected it was certainly not what we had planned but life is uncertain and 2016 has been unpredictable, uncertain for many, many people God actually warns us in the Bible that we should be very careful how we speak about the future. This is what he says. He says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you're boasting, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. What God's saying is that the future is hidden from us. And personally, I'm very glad that it is. Wouldn't it be a nightmare if we knew the events that were going to happen next year and the year after? Events that were going to push us to the very limits of what we can endure. Bad enough when they come, but if we saw them in advance and and saw them getting closer and closer day after day how horrible that would be but that's how it was for this one man Jesus he's the only man who's ever lived like this at the very point of his birth prophecies were made about him that made it clear what he'd come for for example in John uh, sorry um, in uh, Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 we've already heard it tonight um, the angel said to Joseph, She, that is Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. He knew he was going to be a saviour. Luke tells us that the angel told Mary, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So he knew right from a babe much of what his future held, but not in the detail, but as he grew. And as he studied the Old Testament scriptures, he understood what it was that he'd come to do. 
And so it comes to the point that he's talking to his disciples who have been with him through three years of ministry. He's about 33 years of age. And this is what he says. See, we're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man, that was his favourite title for himself, the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him and after three days he will rise. He not only knew in a general sense what his future was to be but he knew very specifically what his future was going to be and it was horrific. Which begs the question why on earth did God send Jesus who is God himself into this world to die? Why on earth did he come to die the most barbaric death that Rome could invent? It was not talked of in polite Roman society. No Roman was put to death by crucifixion. It was reserved for slaves and and people who they'd subjugated to, to the Roman Empire. And yet God chooses to come for that. Now to answer that question we need to look not at Jesus but we need to look at ourselves. I need to look at me. And you need to look at you. Because the reason Jesus had to come was nothing to do with him, but it was very much to do with us. I don't know about you, but I like to think that I'm quite a good person. I like to project an image of being good. And I, and I try really hard to be good. And I guess many of us here tonight would say the same thing. We don't want people to think badly of us. We don't want to let people down. We want to be good mothers, fathers, children. We want to be be obedient to the law of the land. We try very hard to be good. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I can convince myself that I'm making quite a good job of it. You know, come on the news what somebody's done somewhere, and I think, wow, I've never done anything like that. You know, you you read of of someone who's just raped somebody or murdered somebody and you think, wow, I I never even had a thought like that into my head. And, And I start to think, well, perhaps I'm actually, I'm quite a good person. And then I remember some of the things that I've thought about people at times. And I remember some of the ways I've reacted towards people at times. And I think, well, perhaps I'm not quite so good as I thought I was. But I suggest it comes as an absolute shock when we look at not how I think I am, but how God knows that I am. Listen to what God says. He says in Romans chapter 3 verse 10, As it is written, None is righteous, no not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. God says, here's my considered evaluation of every person on planet earth as I know them, and God knows us better than we know ourselves. He says, there is not a single person who is good. When Jesus comes on this earth, and of course he is good because he is God, he is totally holy, this man comes up to him, and this is what this man says to him. He says, teacher, good teacher... And Jesus stops him right there and says, why are you calling me good? And this is what Jesus says. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. 
Now it's right that this teacher calls Jesus good because he is God, but Jesus is stopping him and saying, just a minute, do you realise what you're saying in using that word? You're calling me good. Do you realise that nobody is good except God? Now that offends me, probably offends you. You say, what on earth does God mean by saying I'm not good? I'm good in all sorts of ways. Well, perhaps you are, but the point is, God's point is this, we're not good in the only way that matters to God. He said it there in those verses, no one seeks God. The things we do that we think of as being good, we don't do for God. We do for ourselves, don't we? Or for our families. Or or because we want to give to charity and help people or whatever, which are good things, but we're not doing them for God. And so God says, they're not good in that sense. In fact, God says, no one does anything good because no one seeks me. So here's the rub. God made us to worship him. That's what he created us for. That's what he put us here on this planet for, to worship and magnify him. And yet the reality is, I do anything but that. From the day I was born, I had no interest in worshipping God. What I wanted was to worship me. I wanted people to think good of me. I wanted people to say what a good person Dave was. I loved it when I got my school report and I gave it to my mum. If she opened it up and found in it good things about me. And she said, oh, they've said this about you. And I'm glowing. I'm like, oh, good, eh? You know, didn't happen very often. But, you know, when it did, it was like, wow. I wasn't concerned that God was glorified. I was only concerned that I was. And that is a massive problem because it means that God has put me here to do one specific thing and I'm actually choosing to do anything but that one thing and I'm not worshipping God. Now God describes that as sin. That's what sin is. It's, It's before about breaking rules. It's about a mindset. It's about a rebellious attitude towards my creator. And God has to deal with that. God cannot ignore it. God is holy and God is just. Now we all want to believe that, don't we? When we see what's been happening in Mosul and Syria and places like that, don't we want to believe that those responsible are going to be brought to account for it in the end? Don't we want to believe that if they die here in this lifetime without being brought to to trial for it, that at least afterwards God will punish them for what they've done? I want to believe that, don't you? that there is actually a just God who says, I see that and I will deal with it. But the point is, because God is just, he isn't selective. He can't say, well, I'll deal with the offenders in Syria, but I'm not going to deal with those who do wrong in Iceland. I'll deal with the murderers, but I'm not going to deal with those who have hate in their hearts towards human beings. No, if he's going to be just, he's got to deal with all sin everywhere. And that means he's got to deal with my sin. But the good news is, God says in the Bible, that he does not desire to do that with anyone. He says, I do not, de- I do not delight in the death of the wicked, but with that men would come to repentance. In other words, he doesn't want to have to have us stand before him on that day and say, you are guilty, I condemn you, I charge you, I will punish you. He doesn't want to do that. What he wants to do is to be able to forgive us and welcome us into heaven. And that's where Jesus comes in. Because because God is 
a just God. That sin has got to be dealt with. You can't sweep it under the carpet. It's a debt. And debts have to be paid. No debt can be just evaporated away. You know, if you owe the bank money, it's not going to happen, so don't get excited, but if you do and they turn around to you and said, we will wipe out your debt, they pay it. You know, it doesn't disappear. Somebody's got to pay it. And if God is going to deal with the debt of my sin and he's not going to deal with it in me, he's got to deal with it in somebody else. And it was for that that Jesus Christ came. That he could be the sin bearer. That he could be the saviour. That he could be the one who stands there before the Father and says, Father, I know they deserve it, but punish me for it instead. And what the Bible tells us is that God the Father pours out his righteous anger on Jesus on the cross rather than on those who would put their trust in Jesus. That's amazing, isn't it? In other words, God says, I've made two places where I can deal with sin. One is in Jesus Christ on the cross. The other is with the person who won't accept that in hell. But God says, I do not want to do that to anybody. I don't know if you saw in the news uh, a week or so back, uh, there was a story, it went around the world. It was about a, a lad in America, I think he was five years old, and he was terminally ill. Now I know that since then, it's been reported in many of the papers that maybe this was all a fake, it was all a, a, a staged thing. I think the problem arose because the little newspaper that first reported it locally, when they saw it go global, immediately put a disclaimer under it saying we haven't been able to verify any of this and so everybody's now questioning whether or not it actually happened. Let's assume it did. Let's give this guy the benefit of the doubt and assume it happened exactly as he said. This is the story. In his original telling of the tale, Mr. Smith Matson, a mechanical engineer, said, The telephone rang. It was a nurse I know who works at the hospital. She said there was a very sick five-year-old boy who wanted to see Santa Claus. This man dresses up at Christmas time as Santa Claus. Within 15 minutes, Eric was at the hospital meeting and talking to the young boy's mum and family. She bought a toy from the TV show PAW Patrol, Paw Patrol, and wanted me to give it to him. I sized up the situation and told everyone, if you think you're going to lose it, please leave the room. If I see you crying, I'll break down and can't do my job. Eric claimed he entered the room in the intensive care unit alone. When I walked in, he was laying there, so weak it looked like he was ready to fall asleep. I sat down on his bed and asked, Say, what's this I hear about you're going to miss Christmas? There's no way you can miss Christmas. Why, you're my number one elf. He looked up and said, I am? I said, sure. After unwrapping his present, the boy posed a heartbreaking question to Eric. They say I'm going to die. How can I tell when, when I get to where I'm going? I said, can you do me a big favour? When you get there, you tell them you're Santa's number one elf and I know they'll let you in. He said, they will? I said, sure. Now, assuming that's true and that's exactly what happened, I don't know about you, but my heart goes out to those parents and that little lad dying there in hospital and he's not going to see Christmas and he's really upset about it and this guy comes in and plays the part of Father Christmas and gives him a present 
and hopefully that gave some happiness to that little boy and maybe some closure to the parents but what broke my heart and I was in tears when I read it was this because that's not the end of it this is what he then says he kind of sat up and gave me a big hug and asked one more question Santa can you help me and then he died in the man's arms this lad had got to the point where his parents who loved him couldn't do anything else for him and as a parent and as you here are parents will identify with it immediately can you think of anything harder than to see your child die and you can't do anything to help them this kid had got past the help of his parents he got past the help of the doctors and the nurses he'd gone beyond the help of medicine and science and in his desperation right at the end he sees this one man who he's putting his hope in and he turns to Santa Claus and says can you help me and he hasn't got an answer to give him now why that breaks my heart is because there are millions of people dying every year just like that not necessarily five years old maybe at a good old age but they've gone through life and maybe they've put their trust in their parents their parents look after them and that's what we do as parents when they're young don't we we're there for them you know and then they get too old and we can't help them anymore and then they've got friends that help them and, and then as your health fails you've got doctors that help you and nurses that help you and science that helps you and medicine that helps you and then you finally get to a point where none of that's going to help you anymore and the question is still there who can help me? and God's answer is this that is what Jesus Christ came for he came for that situation where no one else can possibly help us when we face death when we leave this life when we step out of this into eternity and it's for that that Jesus came that we can know that in that moment I am right with God that all that I've thought wrong in my lifetime all that I've said wrong all my failures all my disappointments everything is covered by Christ and God has forgiven me because Jesus went to that cross and died for me and so I can look at death and I can look at the reality of it and say come on death make my day because all that's going to happen is I'm going to go to be with my king the Lord Jesus Christ as I said my father-in-law was here last year in the service um, he died in Adam Brooks during the year Sue was able to spend the last week in there with him they gave her a bed to sort of mattress to put down on the floor next to his bed and they said to him you know do you want there's more treatments we can try and do do you want it and he says no I'm ready to go ready to I know where I'm going I'm ready to, to be with my Lord and we were there praying with him I was just about to leave and you know that you get that noise when someone's going to die and we sort of pushed the buzzer and a couple of nurses came in and I'm praying there with him and one of the nurses says you're a Christian I suggest just praise the Lord so am I and we were just able to sit there with him while he went out of this lifetime and said we couldn't do anything for him they couldn't but Christ had done it all my friends do you know this Jesus 
Not just the Jesus of Christmas, not just the little baby there in the manger, but the Jesus who went to the cross and rose again victorious on the third day. The Jesus who says, come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. The Jesus who can make peace for us with the God of all glory. We're going to sing, hark the herald angels sing, glory to